0: Thank you, Jess, for those prayers. And hello again, church and friends. Now, if you've been with us uh, in the last few weeks, you know that we've been on the sermon series called Summer Storytime. And today is the the last of the series. So we began with the story of Noah in our first week, followed by Joe, who spoke on being set free from slavery. And then Quan. Juan Ip took us through the book of Ruth, and she talked about God's chesed. And last week, we had Drew uh, preach from the book of Jonah, challenging us to reflect on who our Nineveh might be. And today, we're going to look at the story of Jesus turning water into wine at a wedding party when the host ran out of wine. Well, it's a very popular Bible story. And I think most of you know the story, or at least have heard of it, or know the gist of it, which is the turning of water into wine. You know, because that's what captures um, the heart of most people. You know, I, I mean, I encountered this story when I was a kid, and I remember thinking, wow, so cool, you know, Jesus could do that? Uh, Jesus, the miracle worker. But over the years, I began to appreciate just how rich the story is. And how there's so much more to what meets the eye when the layers are peeled back. You see, in I mean, the Gospel of John, that's where you find this story, is filled with symbolism. John conveys his message using many symbols and imagery, which is great if you know what they are, right? But if you don't know what they are, you might actually miss what he's trying to get at. So, okay, imagine this. So there's this group of people chatting. And someone goes, you know, so yeah, um, I heard that it was the first time that he was meeting his fiance's parents. But can you believe what he did during dinner? And the group goes, oh, what? Oh, you know, so he kept doing this. (laughs) And the group goes, whoa. But you see, you can only go, whoa if you know what this means, right? It's so like, he did that. See, this is a no-go in Chinese culture. But having said that, I'm very guilty of that. Yeah, I confess. Um, because this symbolizes death, you know? This is like an offering for the deceased. And the chopsticks there, they are like incense, right, that you offer. So again, if you understand the symbol, you understand the implications, and you, e- you might even have some reactions. Symbols and imagery, they are powerful, and so it's important that we pay attention to them in our story today. So today, we're going to dig a little deeper, just peel back a little, you know, a few more layers, just to see what John uh, might be getting at that we might miss. Um, Are you okay with that? I would need you to track with me a little bit, but I think it's going to be fun. Okay, let us pray before we get into the text. Ah. God, thank you for your word. Thank you that you have chosen to reveal yourself. Thank you that you want to be known, that you want us to know you. And this morning, may your Holy Spirit speak powerfully, bringing to us, each of us, what we might need to hear, God, because only you know what is in each of our hearts. Amen. Okay, let's jump into the text. So now, on the third day, there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples were also invited to the wedding. When the wine ran out, Jesus' mother said to him, They have no wine left. Jesus replied, Woman, why are you saying this to me? My time has not yet come. His mother told the servants, Whatever he tells you, do it. Now, there were six stone water jars there for Jewish ceremonial washing, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. Jesus told the servants, fill the water jars with water. So they filled them up to the very top. Then he told them, now draw some out and take it to the head steward. And they did. When the head steward tasted the water that had been turned to wine, not knowing where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew, he called the bridegroom and said to him, everyone serves the good wine first and then the cheaper wine when the guests are drunk. You have kept the good wine until now. Jesus did this as the first of his miraculous signs in Cana of Galilee. In this way, he revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. Now, we are going to work backwards. We're going to start with this last verse right here because it gives us a clue as to what John might want us to pay attention to in the story. So Jesus did this as the first of his miraculous signs. In Cana of Galilee, in this way, he revealed his glory. In what way? In this way, he revealed his glory. In what way? What does John mean here? What do you think? See, I think it really depends on what we mean by glory, right? I mean, glory is a, such a big word, and we Christians love to throw around. But what do we mean by that? I'm going to invite you to take a moment with me, okay? So first close your eyes, whether you're here or online. I invite you to close your eyes. And now think of the glory of God. What comes up for you? What picture do you see? Does glory have a shape? Is glory concrete? Or is it airy and and, and mystical and white? Okay, you can open your eyes now. Okay, so you keep that in mind, okay, as we take a look at what John means by the glory of God and see if it can help to help us to stretch our understanding of glory. So, here. Sorry. Okay. The, in the beginning of the Gospel, in Chapter 1, John says, "...now the Word became flesh and took up residence among us. We saw His glory, the glory of the one and only, full of grace and truth, who came from the Father." We saw. The disciples saw this glory in concrete form, you know, flesh and blood. And it's not just a mystical, abstract, spiritual item. And also not in the form of bright light behind the clouds. See, I was very curious. And so I did a Google search. Glory of God image. And 99... 98 and 99% of the images all came up with bright light behind the clouds. But the disciples saw this glory in real life, in real everyday life, when the Word became flesh, when the Word then took up residence among us. So Eugene Peterson puts it this way. God moved into the neighborhood. That's how he describes it, in the person of Jesus Christ. And God's glory was seen in Jesus as he did life in the hood, eating, drinking, being in community, teaching, and sometimes maybe attending wedding parties. How was God's glory seen? So, was there a halo on top of Jesus' head and everywhere he went, you know? It just glows. Or is there a sign that says, I am God? No, John describes his glory as full of grace and truth. Again, another abstract-sounding term. So the phrase grace and truth is a description of God's character, of who God is. It's the same as how God describes himself in Exodus 34 as abounding in love, loyal love, said, and faithfulness. What this is, okay, this is the Greek equivalent of the Hebrew, So the glory of God here really is the visible manifestation of God's character. It's the revelation of what God is like, and John wants us to pay attention to that. As he tells us many stories about how Jesus shows us what God is like. His goodness, his glory, starting with the wedding feast in Cana. Now before we go back to the wedding feast, allow me to do a very, very quick detour here. As Christians, we often talk about doing things for the glory of God. Does it sound familiar? Yeah? And God honors that desire. But we must also remember that doing things for the glory of God means ultimately reflecting his character in all that we do, the way we do things. If we treat people poorly or use people as truth or in the name of bringing glory to God, then maybe we are not actually bringing glory to God. Quite the opposite, actually. That's food for thought. Okay, so detour done. Back to the wedding feast. So what is God like in the story of Jesus turning water to wine? First, God cares about our earthly needs. It might be self-evident to some of you, but actually sometimes we don't think that God cares about those things in our life. They are, you know, but they are not too trivial for, tri- trivial for him. God is not like distant and abstract. He cares about our human needs. He came as a human being to dwell with us to do community with us, to do life with us. See, in the ancient Jewish culture, the wedding could last up to seven days. And to run out of wine was like big no-no. Major social faux part Very, 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 very embarrassing. But Jesus wasn't aware of that. And even though he gave his mother uh, what seems to be a jarring response, and we'll get there later, he still helped the host out by turning water to wine. You know, church, we can come to Jesus with our needs, big and small. Like Mary, we can bring our requests to him. Is there anything that you often feel like, oh, so small. I don't think God cares about that. But notice how Mary, uh, where Mary left it, okay? So, Whatever he tells you, do it. Basically, do whatever Jesus says. See, Mary recognizes that Jesus may answer her request in ways that she's not expected. And she is happy to leave it at that. But I think this is actually very hard for us, for some of us. Well, you know, if you're like me, if you're anything like me, first, you know, you look at the situation, you do all the mental gymnastics, you know, all the analysis... And then decide for God what solutions are possible, based on my analysis. And then once I, des- you know, once I've kind of narrowed down, okay, based on this, I think solution A and okay, maybe solution A or D they're possible. Okay, then take that to God. Say, God, can you execute this solution for me? How about letting Jesus have complete control over the situation? Do whatever He tells you. And God, God values mercy over rituals. So you and I might be very happy, you know, Jesus turning water to wine, like, whoa, not just a little bit of wine, but a lot of wine, but not just a lot of wine, but a lot of good wine. But some people could get very upset. So John tells us that the six stone jars were meant for Jewish ceremonial washing. People who understand the symbolic meaning of this, symbolic meaning, like the religious police, would know that Jesus defiled those jars by using them for a purpose other than ceremonial washing. Jesus here values human needs more highly than ritual requirements. It is mercy before rituals. And you see Jesus doing the same thing when he healed on the Sabbath. Of course, making the religious police very upset again. You know, sometimes in our fervor for God, we can also become religious police. Not only unto others, but unto ourselves as well. So much so that there is no longer any joy left in us. When we are so consumed by checking all the right boxes, trying so hard to be a good Christian, there's no more joy. You're thinking, okay, am I doing this right? Am I doing this right? You know, trusting rules to make us good instead of allowing the Holy Spirit to transform us. See, I, I like to think of it this way. So, uh, shackle, you know, like, locks or handcuffs. So the Christian faith is not a shackled faith. But oftentimes, I think many of us feel that way, right? Like this. I have someone uh, who told me recently that um, sometimes it's so much freer to be with non-Christians because you don't have to uh, make sure that you follow all these rules, you know. But there's food for thought for us, you know. Is God intending for us to have a shackled faith? Or He intends for us to be filled with joy? That when people meet us, they go, Wow, tell me more about that. And what is God like? God provides abundantly. God is generous. John mentioned the capacity of the water jugs for a reason, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. This suggests abundance. See, the quantity of wine from those jugs will provide for more than enough for the remainder of the feast, far in excess of need. See, the the abundance of wine reveals to us something of God's abundant generosity, we often start with ah, be careful," be, uh, you know, don't 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 overgive, don't overprovide. But God does not start with that. that he, he's not thinking, "Oh, I better be careful and not overprovide." The life that God wants us to have is abundant, flourishing, overflowing joy, like the kind Jesus says He came to give, that they may have life and have it abundantly. And the last one for today is one that really grips me personally. God transforms utterly, utterly. A couple of years ago, uh, I think it's a couple of, 2020, I think, uh, I was on a tour to the Holy Land, um, was organized by region college, uh, and I did make it back here just before COVID hit the world. I was there and people were, actually rushing to buy masks in Israel. Um, So anyways, uh, we were at Cana. Daryl Johnson, the professor who was teaching us at the time, considered this to be the greatest miracle. Why? Because Jesus turned water into wine without grapes. All the other miracles, it says, are transformational. But here it's transubstantiating, meaning it's the total change in the substance. And then he says, when when Jesus wants to do a new thing in your life, the ingredients do not have to be there, to be first in your life. Peter went from shifting sand to rock. And when Jesus promises to do something new in the church of Jesus Christ, he can do it, even if the ingredients are not there. Amen? Do we trust that Jesus could do a new thing in our lives, even though the ingredients are not there. Do you believe that God can change you? Now, don't think about other people. Um, I thought it's very easy for us. Oh, God, you can change? Can can you change that person? Can you change this other person? Do you believe that God can change you to become more of what you are called to be? Peter, from shifting sand to rock. See, water is a symbol. Again, see, symbol symbol for the Torah. And the, and the ritualistic water cleansing can clean wet The outside of a person, but can it clean a, a person inside? No. So by changing water to wine, Jesus is doing an utterly new thing. He's bringing the wine of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, And unlike water, the Holy Spirit can change the inside of people. What does it mean? It means that we don't have to cling, stubbornly cling to the old. It means that we get to be free from ritualistic pressures of religion. We worship a true and loving God. It is not a religion. It's a relationship. We get to allow the Holy Spirit to transform us. And I don't mean that we become perfect. I mean, did Peter get perfect? No. But still, a remarkable change took place. But you know what? For Jesus to let you and I, to let us have the wine of the Spirit, is seriously really no joke. When his mother says, we have no wine. Now, literally, that's true, but it's also true symbolically. It symbolizes the barrenness, the fruitlessness of first century Judaism. No spirit, no fruit. And so when Mary says, we have no wine, so it's like Jesus going, ha, huh, you don't say. Or, no kidding. Jesus knows that the wine of the Spirit is not going to come until his death. Because he died, was resurrected, and the Holy Spirit came. So, the Holy Spirit coming means first his death. But his mother does not understand. See, that this miraculous sign of turning water into wine points towards the hour, the time, the cross. And that's why Jesus responded to his mother in such a strange way. Woman, why are you saying this to me? My time or my hour has not yet come. But of course, his hour, his time came later. In John 12, 23, Jesus says, The time has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. And in John 17:1, Father, the time has come. Glorify your Son so that your Son may glorify you. At the cross, in light of the resurrection, we see the true revelation of God's glory. It's shown the brightest. It's where we see God's character most powerfully revealed, most powerfully manifested. This is who God is. Has said, loyal love, self-giving love. And the world is waiting to encounter this God. In a moment, I'm going to pray. Um, And then we're going to um, go straight into communion. But then we'll have some space for us to reflect as the worship team plays later. And during reflection time, I will encourage you to just open your hearts to God and, and, and just invite Him to speak maybe you're waiting for something maybe you're, you're feeling despair because you don't see any way out but maybe you need encouragement but maybe you need a challenge, I don't know but the Holy Spirit knows so first let us pray Holy Spirit, come. Come and do what only you can do. We are so thankful, so grateful to you, Jesus, that it's because of your sacrificial love, your self-giving, self-emptying love, that today we can pray this prayer. That we can say come Holy Spirit come Holy Spirit we We invite you To Do To say To nudge To encourage To convict The way you see fit We come with open hands We long to see A new thing We pray that you'll do a new thing in me, a new thing in us, a new thing in Hong Kong, a new thing in this church, a new thing in the world. Like Mary, we say, Jesus, do whatever. And this table, this wine, it will always remind us that Christ is the choice wine that God poured out for the life of this world, for your life and for my life. This is his body given as the life for the world. And this is the wine, the choice wine that He has invited us to share with Him. And one day, we will drink together with Him again.